From the in-town Jewish Academy in Atlanta, Georgia, I am Rabbi Ari Solish, and this is Knowledge on the Deeper Side. In this podcast, we discuss the most inspiring and stimulating Jewish ideas, ideas that challenge the way you think and feel. To sponsor a class or episode, please visit intownjewishacademy.org slash sponsor. And now, on to the episode. in progress. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, Friday, April 29th. This is the, sh- the Friday Arab Shabbos, the Shabbos after Pesach, and this is when we make Shlissel Chala. You guys know about this? Shlissel Chala, you know what that is? Yeah. What is Shlissel Chala? Who knows? A key. <laughs> Some people put a key in the Chala. Right. Uh, this is not a typo. You're hearing me correctly. An actual key in the Chala. Some people right. shape their challah into the shape of a key. Right. But however you do it, this week key is the, the yes, this week is a key, the key to blessings and success and livelihood. And it's good to have challah again because it's been a while. It's been a few weeks. So it's good to get back on the challah train, perhaps, mm-hmm. especially uh, if you like carbs. If not, oh, well, you got to do what you got to do. All right, friends, this is, uh, this is our last session of this week, so we're going to conclude the Torah portion of Achrei, and we're going to study the Haftorah, which is a very interesting one, which I think you'll enjoy as well. So without further ado, let's jump into the text. Let's jump into the, uh, to the reading, to the Chumash, and study away. A second. There we go. Yeah. Oh, go ahead. You, you said that you uh, referred to the Parsha as Achrei, not Achrei Mot. So I'm just Correct. wondering why, with my son's Parsha. Yeah, <laughs> Achrei Mot, Mot means after the death. Achrei means after, so it's a little bit less, um, uh, what's morbid. It's a little bit less morbid to call it Achrei. By the way, even on Chabad.org, even the website here, the website is a little, yeah. bit, uh, little bit confused because in, the, in kind of the... Um, the links at the top, you see it's called Achrei Mot. But here it says Achrei. So you get a little bit of both. But Achrei Mot means after the death. So instead of, you know, referencing it, referencing a parsha by using the word Mot, which means death, so we just call it Achrei. Again, it's not, it's not, uh, it's just a, a tradition. Okay. Leviticus chapter 18, we are concluding, we're winding down from the forbidden relationships and from the conversation of what it means to separate, distinguish between the holy and the unholy. So here we go. Leviticus chapter 18 begins with verse 22. You shall, or Sorry, this reading begins, Leviticus chapter 18, verse 22. You shall not lie down with a male as with a woman. This is an abomination. Verse 23, and with no animal shall you cohabit to become defiled by it. And a woman shall not stand in front of an animal to cohabit with it. This is depravity. You shall not defile yourselves by any of these things, says the Torah, says God, for the nations whom I am sending away from before you have defiled themselves with all these things. Essentially, God says, I want you to be different than the other nations, and these are things, all of these relationships, as we discussed yesterday and today, are things that the nations do, and you, God says, should not do these things because you are to be different. And the land became defiled from the behavior of the 
previous or current residents of the land, i.e. the Canaanites, and I visited its sin upon it, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. It's a very interesting terminology. And this idea of vomited out its inhabitants, okay, it's a, you know, a little bit uh, of, of, a, of, a, of a gross word to think about, especially at lunchtime. But the, the message really is here, just, just like the body rejects something that's not healthy for it, and it, it, just, it, it just literally expels it from the body, the same thing is true with the land, with the holy land. The holy land literally rejects, rejects that type of defilement and, and spits it out. And that's why those nations will be spit out. But as for you, you shall observe my statutes and my ordinances, and you shall not do like any of these abominations, neither the native nor the stranger who sojourns among you. So not only you, but also those that are around as well should not follow the path, the, 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 the not good acts of the other nations. By the way, statutes and ordinances, chukotai and mishpatai, that refers to those super rational decrees, the, the, the decrees of the Torah that we don't really understand, but God said, and ordinances are those that we do understand. So whether we understand or whether we don't understand, bottom line is, God says, observe it, keep it, don't violate it, and then things will be good. Verse 27, God again doubles down, for the people of the land who preceded you did all these abominations, and the land became defiled. The land itself became tainted by this. And let the land not vomit you out for having defiled it as it vomited out the nation that preceded you. In other words, don't let this happen where the land will expel you like it's expelling the other nation. So don't, don't, don't fall into this negative behavior. For anyone who commits any of these abominations, the persons doing so, doing so shall be cut off from the midst of their people and cut off. In this context means spiritual excision, the idea of getting cut off, the soul's connection being, being compromised and, um, and the person passed away at a younger age and the children are also, there are consequences for the children as well. It's not a, not a pleasant thing. And you shall observe my charge um, and not to commit any of the abominable practices that were done before you, and you shall not become defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. And I, I don't know if you noticed this, but maybe three or four times in this reading, it says essentially the same core idea, and that is that these are things that the nations before you did. They defiled the land, defi sorry, defiled themselves with these things, and defiled the land. The land itself became defiled. And then the land spewed out, spit out the inhabitants. So don't do what they did. Don't do the actions that they did that brought defilement upon them and upon the land and got them spit out because then, right, then what's going to happen? It's not going to be good for you either. So that's the warning for the Jewish people not to do the things like the other nations because that ultimately is not appropriate and that is not going to end well in either case, not for them and not for us. Rabbi, doesn't he say multiple times, I am the Lord your God? Doesn't he say that a lot? Yeah. Yeah, this idea of I am the Lord your God is repeated multiple times um, in these few readings. And each time, usually Rashi chimes in and explains, you know, why, why is God, I mean, we, we get it. I, we, we know who you are. At this point, you don't have to introduce yourself. We know who you are. So why does he why does God say, I am the Lord your God? Usually it's to either emphasize something or to highlight something, you know, an additional point that otherwise wouldn't be, wouldn't be highlighted. But yeah, the, the commentaries usually, usually discuss it. We'll see if Rashi has, has some uh, point of note on it. 
But again, I, I, I feel like I want to highlight this idea that, that, that Torah is highlighting repeatedly. It's easy to fall into a behavior when others are doing it. It's like, if, they, if they're doing it, why can't I do it? And, and that's like a, it's a mindset. The mindset is, well, if, if, if they're doing it, it's like the kid that says to the parent, um, can I go uh, to the concert? The parent says, no. But, but Jimmy's going to the concert. Well, and then the, and the parents would answer, but I'm not, I, am I Jimmy's parents? Jimmy's parents allow him to go to the concert. Am I Jimmy's parents? Or if Jimmy jumped off, the, you know, you, the, you have different uh, phrases that parents and children, you know, the, converse, the conversation goes on. But it's... My father likes the cliff one. The cliff one, right. If he jumped off the cliff, would you jump off a cliff? No. So, so he let him go to the concert. You're not going to the concert. What it comes down to is like this. It's harder to swallow something, right? It's harder to swallow a prohibition, let's say. I, you can't do that when you know someone else is doing it, right? It's like, I can't, but they can. So God says, again, repeatedly, I know they're doing it. The other nations are doing it. They don't have these restrictions. They don't have Torah and mitzvot. They don't have the 613 commandments. They don't have these, these, this series of laws. They don't have it, but you have it. You don't do this. The other people did it. And you know what? It doesn't always work out for them either. But whether it does or doesn't, the truth is that's, that's almost, I mean, God says, so it's got to be relevant, but that's, that's even less relevant than the, than the major point. The major point here is just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean that it's right for you to do it. Just because someone else is doing it doesn't mean that it's healthy or that it's right or that it's right for you. There are many things that somebody else could pull off, but you yourself can't pull off, right? There's many things like that. Many things that somebody, you know, somebody else could do and you can't do. It's fine, right? Just because someone else is doing it, you, you should be able to do it. Same thing is true with, with these uh, various behaviors. Bottom line is the, the Torah gives the Jewish people a very specific code of conduct. Now, some of these laws are universal, that's true. Some of these laws are seven Ohio laws. A lot, of, a lot of the laws, seven general categories, a lot of the laws are across the board. Sure. But some are unique to Judaism. Don't say, well, the other nations are doing it. I also can. That's a false equivalency because you are not like the other nations. And that's essentially the, the point here that God is making in the Torah. All right. Rashi. Rashi. Here we go. Tevel, depravity. Rashi says it's an expression denoting prostitution, sexual immorality, and adultery. So basically, um, if we were to use a clean language here, we would say um, unhealthy expressions of intimacy. Similarly, and my wrath because of their depravity, that's a similar verse that refers to the same issues. Another explanation of Tevel who? Right, so that's one explanation of Tevel. By the way, Tevel is used with... Re I'm sorry for not introducing this correctly. Verse 23 was talking about cohabiting with an animal, okay? Which the Torah forbids, whether it's a, ma a man with an animal or a, f or a woman with an animal. Either way, no interspecies uh, um, cohabitation. And the Torah says, otherwise, it's, doing so would be Tevel. Tevel means, again, uh, um, unhealthy forms of, of intimate acts. Rashi gives another explanation of tevel. It's an expression which denotes mingling, 
balal, and mixing up. Here it refers to the perverted mingling of human seed and animal seed, basically mixing, uh, mixing um, species or kingdoms of life, animal kingdom, human kingdom, mixing those two together in an intimate way is prohibited, and that is another meaning of the word tevel, balal, which is mixing and uh, really blurring lines. Okay, we really have really not a lot of Rashi's here. So that was the first Rashi of this reading. The next one, um, and let the land not vomit you out, right? That's the warning. Don't let the land vomit you out. Don't do these things, otherwise it's not going to be good. So Rashi says this can be compared to a prince who was fed obnoxious food. Okay, so the, the reason why it's using the example of prince is because a prince probably ate a very refined diet. The prince in the palace is probably eating top food. And the prince is now being fed obnoxious food, which could not stay in his intestines. So he vomited it out. Likewise, the land of Israel, listen to this, the land of Israel cannot retain transgressors and thus vomits them out. The land is too pure to tolerate wanton disregard of the law. The to- um, empty out, the land empties itself of the transgressors. Same, same idea. But I, I love that example. I love the parable of the, of the prince. The prince who has been eating a royal, delicate diet, you know, a, a perfect diet for, for so many years, and then eats fast food, it's probably not going to stay down in the system for too long because just body can't handle that. It's not, not, it doesn't work. Problem is that we're okay with it, but whatever. I mean, it's like, welcome to 2022. Not all of us, I know, but like, okay, it's, um, I'm at the school now. I'm at the elementary school. So Fridays, so typically the kids bring their own lunches, except for Friday. Friday, there's lunch. I mean, you have to opt in, you have to pay some money, but Friday, the school provides lunch if you wish. And what is Friday? Pizza Fridays. Pizza Fridays. Imagine you give the prince and hopefully it's not like a fast food prince, like a prince who like ate like from the, from the finest chefs of the land. And then the first time he eats a slice of pizza, right? A nice greasy slice of pizza. Can you imagine? Oi, what is this stuff? The system would reject it. His intestines would be like, get out of here. Forget it. His stomach would be like, see you later. Okay, the land of Israel is sensitive. The land of Israel is, uh, is super sensitive. It says back in the day, Back in the day, they had listen to this, an old Hasidic saying. <laughs> Hasidim of yesteryear, Amal, Amalekat Saitan Hasidim, like Hasidim of, of the past, they had iron stomachs and silk minds. It was their minds were so delicate, their minds could understand the most subtle concepts, and their stomachs were like iron. They could, they could drink mashke, they could drink, they could, they could say l'chaim, they wouldn't be effective. Nowadays, it's the opposite. We have minds like iron and stomachs like silk. We can't understand anything. And the moment we eat, you, know, you, you can't say l'chaim because, ah, oh, you know, it's, uh, it's not good for the system. Anyway, that's, that's an old Hasidic, Russian Hasidic lament of the way things were back in the day with real chassidim who would understand things and be able to fabring all night. Anyway, just, uh, just an, an aside, speaking of stomachs. All right, back inside. Back inside. For anyone doing, uh, committing any of these abominations, the person doing so shall be cut off from the midst of the people. The people doing so um, 
Here we go. Since the verse begins, anyone who does, I should have used the singular form here. By using the plural, the people doing so, people, it means both the male and female involved in the act. Okay? All right? In other words, this idea of spiritual excision is not just for men. It's for men and women, male and males and females. Okay. You shall observe my charge, God says. This clause comes to admonish the courts regarding the matter. In other words, the courts should also be, be, uh, be enforcing this. And you shall not become defiled by them, by these practices. I am the Lord your God. Ah, and Ray asked before, why is it saying I am the Lord your God? Don't we know that already? But if you do become defiled, says God, I am not your God, and you will be cut off from me. In other words, God says... Don't become defiled by them. I am the Lord your God. In other words, if you stay away from those practices, then I'm with you, then I'm your God. But if you, if you transgress those practices, if you stray, if you make a mistake, etc., then you will be cut off from me. What benefit will I have from you? Moreover, you will deserve annihilation. Therefore, it says, I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. When you stick to the plan, when you deviate from the plan, all bets are off. That concludes the Torah portion of Achare. Okay, so in short, if we had to summarize, if I had to summarize the Torah portion, so we started off this week by talking about the rules and regulations of Yom Kippur. What the high priest did in the temple, what he did in the Holy of Holies, what he did with the incense and the bull and the goats and all that stuff. We spoke in detail about the avodah, about the service of the high priest in the temple on Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. That was one topic. Then we got into a discussion about only bringing sacrifices in the temple. No private altars, no private worship, right? Then we spoke about the idea of uh, blood and the life force that's in the blood, right? The blood is sacred. The blood has the, the life of the animal, so we are not to consume blood. If we shech the animal, slaughter the animal, and the blood falls to the ground, we are to cover the blood with earth, in a sense, burying that blood. And then we got into a discussion about the forbidden relationships. We talked about the incestuous relationships, the interspecies relationships, etc. And that all of these relationships were under the category of uh, forbidden relationships. And the Torah concludes, uh, God concludes the Torah portion by um, encouraging us not to fall into the behaviors that others might have done because... First of all, it's not good. It's not good for us. Number two, it ultimately is not a sustainable practice to stay in the land of Israel. Look, the reality is that we had the, we had the land, we had temples, and they were destroyed and we were evicted. So the warnings, unfortunately, you know, the, 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 the warnings did come to pass and we were exiled. At this point, yes, we are back in the land, but things are not so, things are not always so easy. So... You know, we're still, we're still, there's still tension there between what it is that we're meant to be doing and, and the Holy Land. But the bottom line is the Holy Land is considered to have a silk stomach. Don't put the wrong foods in. Don't put the wrong behaviors in or else it's not going to be ultimately, it won't, uh, it won't last in that space. All right, any questions or comments on the reading before we go to the Haftorah? Make sense? Okay. All right, now we go on to the Haftorah. So here's, here's what you need to know. This week, we do a unique Haftorah. Haftorah, just to clarify, we read the Torah portion from the five books of Moses from the Torah scroll, 
after we conclude the Torah reading on Shabbat mornings, we read a section from the books of the prophets, known as the Haftor, which was introduced at a time when they couldn't read the Torah reading, so they had a supplement that was something else, and then when we were able to read the Torah once again, it, we just kept it, and that's become the tradition, so we read the Torah, and then a small section from the books of the prophets. And typically every Torah portion has a reading from the Haftor that's appended to it, um, and so does Achare, but this week we're not going to read Achare's typically uh, scheduled Haftorah. We're going to read a special one. Why? Because this Shabbos is Erev Rosh Chodesh. Rosh Chodesh Iyar, the first day of Iyar, or Rosh Chodesh Iyar, is Sunday and Monday, two days of Rosh Chodesh, which makes Shabbat, Shabbos, Erev Rosh Chodesh, the eve of Rosh Chodesh. And so, the way it works in Jewish practice is, when it's the eve of Rosh Chodesh, when Shabbat is the eve of Rosh Chodesh, the eve of the first of the, of the new month, you read a special Haftorah that, that talks about a story that happened on the eve of Rosh Chodesh. Okay? You talk about something that happened on the eve of Rosh Chodesh back in Jewish history, and it's in the books of the prophets. So I'm going to toggle this, and I will share this with you so that you can follow along. This comes from the book of Samuel, the book of Shmuel, Samuel 1, chapter 20. A little bit of background. And I've shared this story before, so you, you probably heard bits and pieces of it. Um, king Saul, Shaul HaMelech, was the first Jewish king. This is way after, long after the Jews already entered the land of Israel. They had settled the land, conquered the nations that were there, drove them out. Not all of them, but anyway, there were still, still issues all, all along, but the Jews had sovereignty over the land, more or less. Finally, finally, uh, a while in, the Jews finally got their first king, whose name was King Shaul, Shaul HaMelech, King Saul in English. King Saul was a very wise man, very powerful man, but he made some mistakes along the way. There was a war against Amalek. He was supposed to finish them off and destroy them, wipe them out. He let the king live. He let the animals live. He, he didn't, he didn't uh, proceed as he was supposed to. In addition to that, there were other issues, and ultimately he was stripped of his monarchy. He died, and his son his, did not continue the monarchy. It was transferred over to King David. Well, in King Saul's lifetime, he kind of had a sense that that was going to happen. I mean, he was told by the prophet, Shmuel, Samuel, who the book is named after, he was told by the prophet that this would happen. And he feared that it was going to go to David. He despised David, despite the fact that his own daughter married David. David was a famous warrior from the David and Goliath battles. battle. He was a general, he was a warrior, and uh, he, he, he got a lot of attention from the people, and that irked the king, because the king wants to be the king and not have this young upstart steal his thunder, which David was doing, even though it wasn't intentional. So King Saul had an agenda against King David, and wished him harm. Now, King David suspected, sorry, he wasn't king yet. David suspected this. And, you know, he, for a while, he actually had a, he actually ran away to protect his own life, to be spared from King Saul's um, uh, jealousy and anger. But one thing that's interesting in this whole discussion is that King David was best friends with King Saul's son. Jonathan. So King Saul had a son whose name was Yehonatan, or Jonathan in English. 
And him and King David were best of friends, even though, and listen, listen, listen to this idea, listen to the plot twist, the irony, even though Yehonatan, Jonathan, would have otherwise inherited the kingdom from his father and been the next king. And here David was threatening to, I mean, the way, the way it was looking was David was going to take the monarchy. And that would mean he would lose out. You would think they would be battling each other, at war with each other, Yonatan, Jonathan, and David. That's not the case. It's not the case. They were best of friends. Even though they had no reason to be friends, or they had every reason to hate each other, they were best of friends. In this reading from the Haftar that we're going to pull out, the snippet that we're going to read today, that we read this Shabbat, we talk about an epic story that happens with Yonatan, Yehonatan, uh, King Saul's son, and David, in which they are discussing, in which the safety of David is priority number one, and Yehonatan, his friend, and the son of the king, promises that he will give David a heads up if his father indeed wants to kill him or not. In other words, he's going to find out how angry his father is at David and then give David a warning so that he can run away and preserve his life. Does that make sense? Does this story make sense? Sort of? Okay. So we'll read it inside and you'll see hopefully it'll make 100% sense as we read it. Samuel 1 chapter 20. There are two books of Samuel. This is the first book of Samuel, again named after Shmuel Navi, Samuel the prophet, chapter number 20. And Jonathan said to him, Jonathan said to David, his buddy, should have been rivals, but they were best friends. Tomorrow is the new moon. Look at that. Tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. That's why we read it tomorrow, because the tomorrow, on Shabbat, tomorrow will literally be the new moon. Right? Tomorrow, what? I'm sorry, sorry there's so many tomorrows. Tomorrow morning, when we say tomorrow is the new moon, it will be factually correct. That's why we read this, this Haftarah on Erev Rosh Chodesh. So Jonathan said to David, tomorrow is the new moon, and you will be remembered for your seat will be vacant. David was a general, and David had an appointment in the king's ministry. But the king already, there was already friction. So David didn't want to show up and put himself at risk. So David was going to skip out on the Rosh Chodesh meal. Apparently the king would throw a, a bash, would throw a meal in honor of Rosh Chodesh, the first day of the Jewish month. He would throw a feast for all of his ministers. And David was not planning on being there. So Jonathan said to him, tomorrow is the new moon and you, David, will be remembered for your seat will be vacant. Right? You're going to be missing and they're going to wonder why you're missing. By the way, it's funny. It says you'll be remembered because your seat will be vacant. Right? It's like it's almost like a, a paradox. You'll be thought of because you won't be there. You know what they say? Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Right? It's kind of like the fact that you're not there will make the king, my father, curious as to he'll think about you because he won't see you. Let's continue. This is still Jonathan giving advice to David. And for three days you shall hide very well. And you shall come to the place where you hid on the day of work, and you shall stay beside the traveler's stone. In other words, hide for three days. And on the third day, I want you to come out of hiding and head over to the crossroads, the traveler's stone. That was a landmark, like the big chicken or something. Right? That was a land, right? That was a landmark in ancient Israel, a landmark. Go to the traveler's stone and hide in that area. Hold on, we're not done yet. 
Jonathan continues to say, and I shall shoot three arrows to the side. In other words, I'll, in three days, I'll meet you there. But you stay hiding in that area. I'm going to come with my bow and arrow and my assistant, right? And I shall shoot three arrows to the side as though I shot at a mark. And I was, I'll, I'll like pretend to shoot the, I mean, I'll shoot the arrow like as if I'm aiming towards something. Let's continue. And behold, I shall send the youth, my assistant, saying, go find the arrows. So now here's a code that they make. If I say to the youth, behold, the arrows are on this side of you. In other words, the arrows come in. I shot the, 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 the assistant will be standing out in whatever, in the field. And I'll shoot the arrows. And if I, short it, if, if I shoot them, the arrows short and I tell the assistant, come in to get the arrows, then take it and come. Then you should come out of hiding for it is well with you and there is nothing the matter as the Lord lives, then you're safe. In other words, Yehonatan, uh, Jonathan is telling David, I'm going to be with my father over the next few days. You're not going to be there. You're going to be in hiding. And I'm going to find out how angry my father is at you, if he really wants to kill you or not. So meet me in three days at the crossroads. I'll shoot a bow and arrow. If I tell the assistant, oh, come in to get the arrows, that means you're safe. Come out. And we'll hug. But if I say thus to the Lord, Behold, the arrows are beyond you. Go, if I shoot the arrows past this young assistant. And I say, go, go, go run and get the arrows. Right? Then go. Sorry. Behold, the arrows are beyond you. Then you should go. Then you run. If I tell the youth to go, then you should go. Why? For the Lord has sent you away. That means that you need to go. And concerning the matter which we have spoken, I and you, behold, the Lord is between me and you forever. In other words, we are best of friends forever. I promise I'm not going to mislead you. I promise I have your best intentions in mind. I promise this is not a trap. I promise that my children, your children, our descendants will be friends forever. Remarkable for someone who was going to ultimately steal the take away, not steal, but take away the throne from his, from his family. All right, here we go. The story rolls out. That was the plan that they make. They make a plan. And David hid in the field. He hid. That was the plan for three days, right? And when it was the new moon on Rosh Chodesh, the next day, Saul, the king, sat down to the meal to eat, just as they had predicted. So Saul had the feast, and the king sat upon his seat, as at other times, upon the seat by the wall. And Jonathan arose and Abner, another general, whatever, sat down beside Saul. And David's place was vacant. David wasn't there. David wasn't there. David was hiding. He wasn't there. And Saul did not say anything on that day, for he thought it is an incident. He is not clean, for he is not clean. He thought maybe he became ritually impure. And when you're ritually impure, so then you can't eat some of the, of the holy offerings or whatever it was. I don't know exactly what they had at that meal, but maybe the king thought that if, they, it's, if David is not, is not pure, so then he's waiting for, until he's going to the mikvah in the evening, waiting until the evening, going to the mikvah, and then, or going to the mikvah, waiting until the evening, and then, he'll, then the next day, the next day, second day Rosh Chodesh, or the second day, or the day after Rosh Chodesh, then he'll show up. And it was on the morrow of the new moon, the next day, the second day of the month, that David's place was vacant again, two days in a row. And at this point, Saul realized that he didn't just, show, he did, he didn't just miss it because of an accident. 
he missed it deliberately. And Saul said to Jonathan, his son, why has not the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? Why, where's David? He doesn't call him David, by the way. Son of Jesse. Yeah? That's like already a bit of a diss. And Jonathan asked, answered Saul. Jonathan told his father, David asked leave of me to go to Bethlehem. David ditched. I mean, not in a negative way, he, he left. And he said, David said to me, Jonathan continues, let me go away now, for we have a family sacrifice in the city. And he, my brother, commanded me, and now if I found favor in your eyes, let me slip away now and see my brothers. He therefore did not come to the king's table. In other words, he had a family engagement and he went to Bethlehem. That's what Jonathan tells his father, Saul. After two days of David missing the meal, so Jonathan tells his father, David, the king says, where's David? Where's the son of Yishai, son of Jesse? And son says, he had a family engagement. Look at this, look at the reaction, verse 30. And Saul's wrath was kindled against Jonathan. And he said to him, you son of a straying woman deserving a punishment. Wow, that's he's referring to his own wife, by the way. You, calling his own son, you son of a straying woman deserving of punishment. There's a backstory here that Rashi points out, which I, I may get to in a moment. Did I not know that you choose the son of Jesse to your shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? Look at that. His youth, you think I don't know that you're friends with him? Do I not, I'll read that again. Do I not know that you choose the son of Jesse? He still doesn't call him by name. To your shame and to the shame of your mother's nakedness? In other words, you're choosing him over your own father, over your own legacy. You're choosing David's friendship over me and over the kingdom. For all the days that the son of Jesse is living on the earth, you and your kingdom will not be established. If David is alive, you will not, you will not rule as king. And now he says, send and take him to me, for he is condemned to death. Saul says, that's it. I'm going to kill David. Well, now Jonathan has the answer about what his father's thinking about David. That's pretty clear. And Jonathan answered Saul's father, and he said to him, why should he be put to death? What has he done? He advocates for David. He says, you're going to kill him for not showing up to a meal? What, what, what's he done? What's, what's the capital offense? What's the crime? He had a family engagement. And Saul cast the spear upon him to strike him. Saul got even more angry at his son, and he it sounds like he threw he threw a spear at him, at his own son. And Jonathan knew that it had been decided upon by his father to put David to death. At that point, no questions at this point as to where his father is holding. And Jonathan arose from the table in fierce anger. Now Jonathan is angry, the son. And he did not eat any food on the second day of the new moon, for he was grieved concerning David, for his father had put him to shame. So that was day two. Day three, the meeting. And it was in the morning, next morning, day three, that Jonathan went out at David's appointed time and a small boy was with him. Remember they made a plan to meet up in three days' time? They're meeting up in three days' time. They went to the appoint, at the appointed time to the appointed place. And he had a boy, the, the arrow, we'll call him the arrow fetcher. Right? He's the guy that retrieves the arrows that the, the prince is shooting in his bow and arrow. And he said to his boy, run, find now the arrows which I shoot. 
Go, go, go and fetch the arrows. When I shoot them, you'll bring them back to me. The boy ran, and Jonathan shot the arrow to cause it to go beyond him. Remember the, remember the, remember the deal? If he shoots it short, David's safe. If he shoots them long, David's in trouble. He shot the arrows long. And the lad came up to the place of the arrow which Jonathan had shot, and Jonathan called out to the lad and said, Isn't the arrow beyond you? Isn't it further than you? He announces loud. And Jonathan called after the lad, quickly hasten, do not stand, run. In other words, not only is it beyond you, but you have to run. This was all coded messages to David. Not only are you in danger, but you're in imminent danger. Run, fast, do not delay. And Jonathan's lad gathered up the arrows and came to his master. And the lad knew nothing. He didn't know that this was all a, 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 a message. Only Jonathan and David knew the matter. David was hiding nearby by the big chicken, and by, by, the, by the rock. And Jonathan gave his weapons to his boy. And he said to him, go bring them to the city. So Jonathan actually was able to get rid of uh, this, this young boy, not get rid of him, but send him back to the city with the, with the bow and arrows. The lad departed, and now David arose from a place toward the south. You see, they didn't know when they made... the when they made the, the, the original plan, Jonathan and David, no one knew if they were able to meet face to face. So they made a plan where they would have a coded message. But it turns out that he was able to send the, the youth, the, the boy, back with the arrows, with the bow and the arrows. And he was able to steal a few minutes alone with David to actually have a conversation. And he fell upon his face to the ground three times and prostrated himself three times. And they kissed one another and wept with one another until David exceeded. That means David wept more and more and more and more. Basically, they were best friends. You imagine best friends, and they're being positioned against each other, and, and one is trying to desperately save the life of the other. It's like, it's the stuff of movies. I mean, it's the stuff of like, uh, it, it's, it's, it's crazy drama. And Jonathan said to David, Lech l'shalom, go in peace. And bear in mind that we have both sworn that we have sworn both of us in the name of the Lord, saying, may the Lord be between me and you and between my descendants and your descendants forever. We will always be dedicated to each other in peace and love. But Jonathan says to David, go. You got to run. You got to spare your life. This is the Haftorah. Very dramatic story. The Haftorah for tomorrow. It's known as Machar Chodesh, which means tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh, because as of tomorrow... Tomorrow's tomorrow is Rosh Chodesh. As of Shabbos morning, the tomorrow will be Rosh Chodesh. So we read this incredible story. I mean, there's some Rashis, some Rashis here. About, but I think, we got, I think we, got the, uh, we got the gist of it. I have, I have a comment. It seems kind of sad to me. It's almost like, like quote-unquote, brothers that are on opposite sides of a political arena yes and being forced into conflict that's not their own exactly yes yes by the way i have a story and and certainly joy you can relate to this because i'm saying prox the neighborhood proximity public sampans there's a fellow who's always in the pasta aisle okay he's like a tallish guy tallish skinny guy and he, he has a, a foreign accent. I, don't, I didn't know where he was from. 
him and I are, are buddies. We've been for years. We always schmooze and talk. We talk about the family. It just whatever. We have great conversations. I asked him. I, I hadn't seen him for a while. And then I saw him a few weeks ago, maybe three weeks ago. And I said, hey, how's it going? I haven't seen you. He's like, not good. What's going on? Turns out, I may have mentioned this in some other context. He's from Ukraine. And his family, so listen to this. He's from Ukraine. His mother's Ukraine and his father's from Russia. And meanwhile, the whole family is, 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 is fractured here. Right? He has family. He has relatives living in Russia, family living in Ukraine. He's from Ukraine. It's the, oh, the whole thing is crazy. Right? The whole thing is a, it's, a, it's just a legitimate disaster, a horrific situation. Plus, there's this added drama of a family divided in two borders. The whole thing is, is, is bananas. But yeah, that, uh, just, I, I remember that as you, uh, as you talked about that. You know, brothers... Being, being split on, on some sort of uh, divide or political divide or whatever it is. And in this case, Jonathan clearly did not care about the kingdom. He didn't care that he wouldn't be king. He didn't care that David would be king. He, was, he didn't have that ego. He was best friends with David, straight up. His father was like, oh, you're going to lose it for the family and whatever. His father was the one who was the jealous and angry one. His, by the way, Saul, he... He went like, he, he, whatever, I don't want to speak negatively, but he, he really went to a very extreme place in this, in this entire saga. He started off extremely righteous, but as the story, as, as the story unfolded, he gets, uh, maybe I'll use the word unhinged, literally hunting, trying to hunt down, subsequent to the story, trying to hunt down David after David runs away. David spent years in hiding, running away from Saul. And this is the origin story, not the origin story, but this is like at the beginning of this where it becomes dangerous enough that he has to run. And Jonathan, ironically, Jonathan himself is the one who tips him off and, 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 and um, shuttles him to safety, as it were. Um, Olia, you had, a, anyway, Joy, does that make, is that, uh, I, but I, I agree with what you're saying. Olia, you, want, you were jumping in for a second also before, sorry. I think. No, I wasn't. Oh, oh, Sorry. You weren't. I thought I heard <laughs> yeah, someone else. Sarah, were you saying something? I was just going to ask okay. the backstory for for Saul and his wife. Oops. Oh, for Saul's wife, why he called her? Um, yes. Yeah, you said. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So good. So let's pull up Rashi. Perfect. Perfect. Let's look at Rashi. Okay. Rashi says like this. And my apologies. I heard I heard another voice, and I didn't. I wasn't sure who it was. Um, Give me a second. Here we go. Saul's wrath was kindled against Jonathan, his own son, and he said to him, You son of a straying woman. Deserving of punishment. What does that mean? Rashi. An expression of straying and wandering. A gadding woman. I don't know what gadding means. What does gadding mean? G-A-D-D-I-N-G. I'm not sure. Um... Who deserves to be chastised and disciplined. I hear, this is what I was referring to. Another explanation is as follows. When the men of Benjamin grabbed the girls of Shiloh, who came out to dance in the vineyards. Now you're probably wondering, why did the men of Benjamin grab girls of Shiloh when they were dancing in the vineyards? What is that? So that goes back to the book of Judges 21-21, which is another story. But anyway, at some point in time, the men of Benjamin 
because none of the other tribes, it's kind of complicated, none of the other tribes wanted to marry into Benjamin because the tribe of Benjamin had done, some, had done something absolutely reprehensible. The tribe of, a few members of the tribe of Benjamin had done something horrific, a, a horrific crime, and collectively they punished, the rest of the tribes punished Benjamin for, 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 for a while. And so at that, while that was going on, no one would marry into the tribe of Benjamin. No one from outside the tribe would marry anyone from the tribe. So they had, to, they had to find other girls. So they married girls from Shiloh who came out to dance in the vineyards. Why, who were these girls? Why were they dancing? I don't know. We would have to look it up and get more context, but that's a little bit of the context. But in that situation, Saul was bashful. I picture a prom, and there's a guy standing on the side, right? Because he's too afraid to ask a girl to the dance. Maybe, I don't know, I went to yeshiva. Boys yeshiva, we didn't have prom, whatever. I'm just, you know... From what, I've heard, from what I've heard. So Saul was bashful and did not want to grab a girl. I gra- by the way, grabbing a girl, and it sounds like red flags all over the place, right? Grab a girl, it's 2022. Do not grab a girl. That's not a phrase that anybody should use or that certainly an action that anybody should do. I don't know if it literally means grab a girl. I think it means just be um, the one to initiate. So Saul was bashful, did not want to grab a girl until she came herself behaving insolently and pursued him. Basically, she walked over to him and said, would you like to dance? Again, I'm paraphrasing. I'm paraphrasing, right? She goes up to him, but that was bold and brazen and forward. And remember, this is what? 2,800 years ago? 2,900 years ago? Something like that? This is a while ago. This is, yeah, this is like almost 3,000 years ago. So we're talking about... Again, we have a modern sensibilities. This is not so modern reality. She went over to him to pursue him. Thus, he calls her the straying woman, his own wife. Are you with me on this? He, you see what's going on here? He was shy. He was bashful. She goes over to him. Ultimately, they get married. And then his own son, he calls you son of a straying woman. Unbelievable. He not only throws his kid under the bus, he throws his wife under the bus when she was the one that essentially, I'm going to say, did him a favor by approaching him because he wouldn't approach her. Anyway, you with me on this? But when people get angry, they say a lot of terrible things. Right? We know this, right? When people get angry, spit out a lot. People can spit out a lot of really ugly things that they wouldn't say otherwise. But, you know, if they say it, it must mean that they thought about it at some, on some level. Like on some level, all these years, was he thinking about his wife? Like, why was she so bold to approach me? Like, what? if he's putting it out there in a moment of anger, this, the thought at some level crossed his mind. Again, I, I told you before, this is not the best Saul that there ever was. These moments of Saul's life, and by, it only went downhill from here, by the way. It just, it wasn't, it wasn't good. It didn't last too long. I think it was about a year, maybe, or so. But it wasn't, a, maybe a little bit more. I think David was hiding for more than a year. Whatever. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't pretty. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't great. But this is part of our story. So this is Mark HaChodesh. This is the Haftorah that, we, that we're going to read this week because Sunday is Rosh Chodesh. Sunday and Monday are Rosh Chodesh. And it's the story. It's the story of, um, of a man who went missing at a meal and who caused a national, 
That's not why it caused it. It's not because he missed a meal. That was a piece of what at least got that, got that trigger, that fuse to be triggered at that moment and, uh, and, and, and tip him off as to where Saul was actually, you know, where he was internally about David. And so what's the message that I'll extract? One message from the opening, as I mentioned before, when David was missing, that's when he was noticed, right? We notice the things that are missing, the missing tile syndrome. Beautiful mosaic, but one tile is missing. Ah, look what's missing. So in life, we can choose to see what's there or choose to obsess over what's not there. We can choose to appreciate our blessings or we can be despondent over the one thing that didn't exactly go our way. We can choose to be happy and grateful for all that we have. Or we can be angry and bitter and sad over the one thing we don't have. Let's choose the former and not the latter. Let's be, let's have gratitude, let's practice gratitude and appreciation for our blessings. Let's be thankful to God Almighty for all of the wonderful things that we have. And let's, let's be mavatir, let's not be so, so stuck on the stuff we don't have. Stuff we don't have, okay, we'll figure it out. Saul couldn't stand the fact that David was missing. You have a beautiful meal, wonderful guests around the table, everything's fine. There's one guy who's not there, and now you're going to lose your cool? You're going to go bananas because one guy is not there? Let it go. No, he can't let it go. No, he's, I got to kill him. He didn't show up. Chutzpah, he's brazen, he's insolent. And anyone who stands up for him, you're also terrible. You're also part of the problem. Let it go. Enjoy your meal. Don't, don't obsess over who's not there. Enjoy who's there. Um, it's a practice that I like. That I, it's something that I like to practice myself. You know, I, sometimes at a class or event, people will comment. And this, I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying people will comment like, oh, you know, where's so-and-so, whatever it is. Let's focus on who's here. Let's be present with, 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 with uh, let's enjoy each other's company. We don't have to think about who's here, who's not here. Let's, uh, let's be present and, and appreciative of, of the blessings that we have right in front of us. So, on that note, I appreciate that you're all here with me. But where's, no, we're not, right? Appreciate all of you who are with me. Sorry, Joy, what did you say? I have one comment yeah. too. It also seems... Um, I mean, what you're saying is absolutely true, but it also seems like Saul is jealous. He's jealous of David Tremendously. and Jonathan's relationship. He's Could jealous be. and insecure with around David. And yeah, so that's he, a fair. That's a fair helped. assessment. Yeah, it's a fair assessment. He's very jealous. He also was told by the by Samuel the prophet that his kingdom was going to be ripped away from him. He was already foretold that. But he didn't tell him who. But at this point, he had that suspicion that it was going to be David. Oh, he couldn't stand it. Could not stand it. 100% jealousy. Jealousy and, and... Yeah. And it all goes back to, to Saul making a mistake and not owning up to it. He made a mistake. He didn't wipe out Amalek when he, when he had the chance. He let the king of all people live. He let the cattle live. Samuel comes over to him the next day and says, "What's going on? Like, why did like I, I hear the ant? Like, what's going on?" He says, "No, I did exactly what I was told to do." He's like, "Really? Yeah, really? Yeah." He like 
he, he, he could not admit that he, that he made a mistake. could not admit that he, that he went against Hashem's word. He says, yeah, I kept the animals alive to bring them as offerings to God. To which the prophet replies to the king, does God want your sacrifices or does he want you to listen to him? What do you think God wants? He wants you, I'm going to give God such a gift, Amalek's animals. Oh, God's going to love it. He's like, you're going to tell God what he loves? God told you to get rid of them. You're going to tell, I'm going to give you a present. I don't want your presents. God doesn't want your presents. He wants, your, he wants you to listen. Anyway, it's also, it's also a profound message in relationships. Sometimes we, we want to tell the other person what they want. Better to listen to what they want than to tell them what they want because you're safer by listening as opposed to telling. But yeah, he was, he, so at that point, with that confrontation, uh, Samuel told him, the prophet told the king, Saul, it, it, it's, it's not going past you. You're not, you're, it's, you're, the kingdom is going to be moved away to another location, to another family. And he took it very hard and he wasn't told who it would be. But when David, kind of his star started shining brightly, you're right, the jealousy, the jealousy, and the fact that his son aligned with him over him, I think that's a very valid point. That probably really ate him up inside. And it was almost like once he was in that place, how do you even get out of that place, you know? Like once you're down, once, once the train is on the, like, just the anger and the jealousy and then the paranoia, got to be paranoia. Who's speaking to who behind my back? Oh, it's probably, the guy probably couldn't have slept. Driving himself crazy. All right, let's not do that in our lives. Let's not be in that jealous, paranoid, angry state. Let's be grateful and happy and positive and joyous and take that energy into Shabbos. And uh, indeed, may it be a peaceful Shabbos, a beautiful Shabbos. First and foremost, peace. Right? Enjoyable Shabbos, a peaceful Shabbos, a spiritual Shabbos, uplifting Shabbos, and a Shabbos of rejuvenation. I look forward to seeing you all next week. Can't wait for it. Sunday morning, we're back, Kabbalah and Coffee. It's been a few weeks. It's been two weeks since we've been out. we were off the last few weeks. We're back to KNC, 930 a.m. DPP Monday at 9, at, um, DPP Monday at 12, and the rest of the week at 12. Monday night, no Rosh Chodesh Society. We're pushing that out till the next week. And finally, 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 Tuesday night, Wine and Cheese. Join us. It's going to be an amazing event. All right. See you all next week, please, God. Good Shabbos. Take care, everybody. Bye. Shabbos, everyone. Shabbos, Shabbos, Sarah. Good Shabbos, Olia. Good Shabbos, Joy. Good Shabbos, Ray. Take care, all. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. As always, you can find us online at IntownJewishAcademy.org and on YouTube at IntownJewishAcademy. New episodes of the podcast come out a few times a week. If you don't want to miss a single episode, then hit the subscribe button. If you enjoyed today's episode, please take a moment to leave a rating or review. It means a lot to me and it helps other people find the podcast. Thanks so much for listening and I hope you have a wonderful day.